My name is Andrew Shankman. I'm a writer, mostly of kids' cartoons, and also the host of this podcast, Goodest Notes. On Goodest Notes, our mission is to interview career creatives of all kinds about the best notes and feedback they've received on their work from their collaborators. Because getting notes can be rough, but they can also be goodest. We're still workshopping the intro. Today's guest is Miles Mercury. Miles is a Minneapolis-based composer, musician, and teacher. You can also catch Miles performing vocals and keys in the funk band Work, spelled with a U. Also, I see Miles when they teach me singing lessons, and I appreciate that they have not given up on me yet. (laughs) Hi, Miles. How's it going? Hey, it's good. How are you? Uh, Doing very well. So before we get into the meat of the podcast, we usually start with some icebreaker questions. Um, And I wanted to start uh, by digging into something. At the point in the time that we're speaking, I'm catching you in the middle of a very impressive streak of writing and recording uh, like a truly wild collection of songs that you've been releasing, like the same day you've been writing them, complete with like fully edited performance videos. That's right. And I was wondering at the pace that you've been maintaining, how has your need for feedback or even self-feedback change over the time of working on this project? Well, the nice thing about working on tracks for like starting them at, you know, 6 a.m. and then putting them out at at 3 p.m. is that I don't get sick of what I'm hearing. If you're working on something for like a week, I mean, that's a long time for me at least. Um, <laughs> it You get like ear blindness. You lose all, you know, objectivity. Um, when listening. And so you always have to send it out. But with my tracks that, you know, I'm putting out in a day, I'm just trusting myself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. My, the, the challenge to myself is that it, it is to just hit that export button and to upload the track and then just like be done with it. Like I'm never going to touch it again. That was kind of the exercise uh, when I first started it um, because I had such an issue writing things quickly. I would take like months to write something. This was my my way of getting back and um, trying to learn how to write things much faster. And now I feel like I don't know how to write things, you know, I don't know how to take more than two days on something anymore. Yeah, the, the, the switch has been flipped. Mm-hmm. But in doing this, you have successfully drawn a lot of eyeballs and earballs, if you will, uh, to your work. And I was wondering what your relationship with the comments, you know, or the critique or feedback from the anonymous internet hordes has uh, become as your viewership has sort of increased exponentially. I always appreciate nice comments, but I also, I love negative comments. I love bad comments too. Like just totally non-constructive. Mean. Like, oh, you suck. Yeah, I love that. Because then my, I, I have a winning game um, and my secret is to just always react with total positivity. And most, almost like, you know, 90% of the time they don't understand what I'm doing. They just think that I'm misunderstanding and it's great. It excites me more than a good comment <laughs> is like, I get to, I get to say, okay, with an exclamation point on this, uh, this comment about how I, you know, I'm not a notable composer or something like that. It's great. That's beautiful. I actually know what you mean. I, I've got, uh, one of the first like mean pieces of internet feedback I got on a YouTube video of a show I, I wrote, I, I printed out and I put it on a mug. 
I drink my coffee from it. <laughs> it gives me power. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay, last icebreaker. Um, how, you know, in the last little while, I imagine all of your, the music lessons that you've been teaching have been over Zoom. Um, how has teaching through a video conference for something, for music, changed the way you give feedback to your students or understand giving feedback to your students? Well, I think... I have to ask for people to do things more than more than I normally would if I was in person because sometimes the audio is just going to cut out or maybe I didn't hear something properly and I feel like I have to address things in a, a kinder way. The energy of an in-person lesson is like I feel like I can I'm there and I can sort of mend and mold the situation much better. With online lessons I feel like I have to build it up even more and build build people's confidence in a way that allows them to accept the the critique that I give. I hope that you felt that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I don't walk away from our lessons uh broken for the most part. Yeah, I always I always want people feeling good. Um like they are doing something good. Which yeah, which learning about music is, I think personally. Absolutely. And now uh let's get to the the meat of it, let's talk goodest notes. Tell me about some memorable notes or hands-on practical advice you've received in your career. The funniest thing is that what pops up in my head is the worst piece of advice that I ever got. I, I had moved to LA. I was trying to make it as a film composer, and this was before my brain stopped working basically i had a whole myriad of health issues that required me to go back to my hometown and address because i thought i was dying anyway the worst piece of advice i had met with an old family friend who was a very successful documentary filmmaker who had won you know emmys and whatnot uh and we went out to lunch and i remember because it was like 120 degrees that day it was awful he told me not to get a job, not to get a part-time job uh, doing, you know, waiting tables or something like that. Focus on music solely and, like, just meet as many people as you can. And he told me that he wasn't going to be my friend. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm not going to be your friend. Don't reach out to me. I'll check in in a year. And I was like, okay. And I, I found out that he got his start um, with a trust fund. Honestly, it was oddly motivating because I was like, wow, what a jerk. I don't want to end up like him. Like, even though he was just like, don't get a job, focus on the craft. It felt like it was, you know, I was being gatekept from that community just because, I don't know, money, man. And he he had just like gotten his career by just walking around UCLA and meeting other filmmakers and doing projects with them, not ever having to take a second job. Then I was like, well, whenever I get healthier, I'm going to take a job and also work as hard as I can on music. And that's what's happened. It is interesting. I've, I've come to think, or my understanding of pretty much any creative career is that the like way in, like the entry point, usually the the price of admission is a certain amount of time spent in the proximity. And I think people become obsessed with the idea of the inherent value of that. You know, it's like if you care, if you prove you care, then you can kind of like stay in the crucible of that moment. But there are so many factors that keep people 
from being able to be in that place reasonably. You know, it was about a four-year, five-year period when I was trying to break into animation writing to where I got there, but like I didn't have student debt during that time, you know? So it's like easy to be like, oh, that's what, you know, it was helpful to like full steam on this thing, but people have, like you're saying, the economics of it are important to understand if you're going to make a blanket statement to people of like, this is what you need to do to prove that you've got it or whatever. Yeah, it's like kind of like requires a blood sacrifice. Most of the people that I spoke with when I was out in LA, they were not old Hollywood, but like Hollywood from like the 80s and the 90s, where it was like, you have to sacrifice yourself to be a part of this. Like, you can't have what you want and not suffer. And that's how it felt. Like, even when I was interviewing for like composer's assistant jobs, it was always like, oh, yeah, we'll pay you $10 an hour and you're on call 24-7. I don't want to do that. That sucks. That seems miserable. Uh, <laughs> to what end? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been about um, finding my way without just killing myself. Yeah, I think that's smart and good. <laughs> Absolutely. Are there any, like especially early on, even strange or, you know, nitty gritty pieces of uh, creative advice? I mean, this is pretty specific to music, but I mean, I think it can be applied to pretty much anything, is the thing that like most blew my mind when I first got into to music school was my professor was like, okay, you have this melody. Why don't you just like hold a mirror to it and then play the melody that's in the mirror? And I was like, what? And what he was talking about was taking all of the steps and the intervals of your melody and then just flipping it and turning it upside down and he's like you can use that as contrast or you can use that as a counter melody or something like that and so that kind of got into my philosophy of use the material you have you don't always have to create something new perhaps the the second section that you need already exists you just like haven't thought of it in that way because there's so many things about music like if you look at a keyboard there's You've got 11 notes or 12 notes, whatever, um, across an entire keyboard. But within that is like so much, so much content that you just kind of have to rewire your perspective um, or hold a mirror to it. You know? Yeah. So much of creative output is data, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. and learning how to you know, flip that stuff around. Uh, is a good way to not go crazy. The best way to put things out at you know, higher consistency of quality and also just quantity is combining your creativity with kind of a formula or kind of a... Regiment. Yeah, where it's like, I know I have all of these parts that I want to put in order. And so before I start writing a piece, I'll just put things in order and then attack it that way and then apply my creativity. But it helps to have like pre-established building blocks to which you can just mess with and flip upside down and mold to whatever you need. I do like playing with blocks. I guess I'd also ask if there has been any recent feedback given to you by collaborators, friends that, that sticks out in your mind, useful notes or, or thoughts. If this is not super recent. My actual, my actually, my partner, who is not a professional musician, and I was just sort of trying to break into the scene, and she said that you don't need to put harmonies over everything. <laughs> 
this is that's the exact kind of note that I'm looking for in the show. Was yeah. that a light bulb like, moment, Don't. or did you like walk off angrily? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I was like, huh. And uh, turns out I don't need to do that. You know, it, harmonies can be used in a way to build tension and sort of crescendo or even decrescendo things and build a story in that way. So I was like, oh, I don't need harmonies over everything. It helps to kind of have some unison of some kind and then add harmonies later. Feels like I'm adding to something or it's changing over time. So yeah, that was like one thing I think about constantly. It's like, oh, do I need this harmony? No, I don't. That's so good. And that's like, I think that's applicable across all creative fields of the like, you develop a tool set, some of them work really well, just like taking that two steps back to be like, does this need to be used now? Especially when it's something that has like yielded results, you can fall into a trap of like always hitting that switch. Like it's always going to sound interesting. Or- it, 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 something might sound good, but it doesn't matter if it sounds good. It's, you have to look at it on a macro scale of like, does this, is this good within the entire piece? And I also think it's just funny that, you know, some of the best advice comes from people who have no knowledge of your field whatsoever. I think that's very true. <laughs> yes. So always send your, your rough drafts to friends who know nothing. Or specifically to your partner. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, to all creatives. Find Miles. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I take that back. Um. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for our next segment, which is called Unsolicited Feedback. I'm going to throw out some topics, and I want you to try and give some constructive notes about them. The first thing I'm going to ask you to give some feedback on is my podcasting voice as your vocal student. Do you have any notes? (laughs) Um, No, it's great. I think your voice is pretty naturally sonorous, where you're not hitting any gravel or you're not hitting any vocal fry which can be particularly damaging to your throat and your vocal cords over time. And you sort of speak, you know, your voice sort of glides, glides through. I think it's, it's very nice. The listeners at home can't see this, but I'm, I'm weeping openly. <laughs> very kind of you. All right, we'll move on to the next topic. I'd like you to give some constructive notes, feedback, or thoughts to the experience of seeing your own face when you're editing your performance videos. I have seen it so much that I feel nothing. But I also, you know, when I see myself performing, sometimes I'm like, why am I making that face? Like, stop that. Because my face does things that I don't know that it's doing. And for videos, maybe I'm like hemming it up a little bit. But still, that happens pretty naturally, where I'm just like, my mouth is totally open. My tongue is out for some reason. Or like, I'm squinting as hard as possible. Sometimes that groove hits you. But when I'm looking, looking back on it, when I'm editing a video, I'm like, That is an interesting face. I don't know if people want to look at that. People respond to base face. They really do. I mean, it helps to be more animated because people, you know, have those mirror neurons firing and being like, I'm going to make that face too. (laughs) Helps to get into the music a little more. I'm most unhappy when I see a video that I'm not emoting enough in because I think that's one thing people connect with is how into the music I get. And so if I see myself and I'm just like not happy or, you know, I'm just doesn't look like I'm having a good time, then I'll usually film it again because, you know, I want all my videos to have some sort of positivity radiating off of them, whether even if the content of it is angry 
or something like that. <laughs> Still just like really getting into it, you know? I appreciate it. Um, cool. All right, last one. Do you have any uh, constructive notes for the clothing article known as sweatpants? Okay, this is my, I'm not an expert in fashion, but I love fashion. There's two sort of spaces of thought in my brain for this. One, there is total comfort, which is you don't need to care about what you look like at all. And if the comfiest pair of sweatpants you own is the ugliest thing on the planet, wear it with pride um, because it makes you feel good, right? And if you want to wear that in public, also fine. I don't care. Specifically for me, I would never wear that in public because I foolishly care what other people think about me. It's a whole thing with my therapist. But You're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. Always, constantly. But I don't know if I would ever wear an unstructured sweatpant out in public. I would maybe wear a more rigid pair of sweatpants, maybe with a stripe down the side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More like a tracksuit pant. That way you can style it a little better, maybe with some, some cool shoes. But like a cotton sweatpant, I own none of those. So I would never wear them. You just eliminate the temptation. Exactly. When I wake up in the morning, I always have to dress nicely because that kind of kickstarts my brain. I can't, I can't write music and wear comfy clothes. So I guess I am sacrificing something for the craft. <laughs> yeah, your your uh, family friend, the documentarian would be so proud. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to honor him by being as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> We're coming to our last segment, the conceit of which is that I have invented time travel technology and I am squandering it and I'm only using it to allow you to give a piece of advice or you know a note to yourself in the past. So let's start at six months ago or you know sometime in the last year. Is there any advice that you would like uh, to give to yourself that might be applicable to someone else who might be in your shoes? Six months ago, I was still working my last like job job before I became full-time musician. I would have just I would just say quit. I got let go because I live in a different state and they wanted me to return for in-person work. And I just had realized that I'd been putting, leaving that job for so long. That was a nice kickstart to going full-time was getting fired. Actually, I was forced to resign. Gotta say that. (laughs) For legal reasons. Yes. That's, I mean, sometimes if you're hearing that and you're like, oh, the job that Miles is talking about that I should quit is my job, then quit. It was causing me, like one, I had at that point built enough of a platform where I could conceivably have quit and gotten steady work, but I had just been putting it off. And waking up every day was causing me so much anxiety because I would like have to check in immediately with my bosses. And sometimes they would berate me. Sometimes uh, they would be like, sorry, you need to take phone calls for five hours now because I don't think you're doing very well in this other thing. It was awful. It was very detrimental uh, to mental health. I think I'm in a better place now, but with, with new work comes new stress, so. Also true. Yeah, I, uh, my last non-industry day job spent a lot of time disassociating and staring into space. And there are, you know, if it doesn't make sense for your health, if you can't do it, 
if there's another thing that you really want to put your energy into, those that's that's probably a good time to quit. You know, we were talking at the top of like, you don't have to like give up security if it's working. Like a lot of people are artists with, you know, other kinds of income coming in. Right. I, I was in an extremely privileged position. Like, I don't know, even a year ago, I would have said I would never do that. Or that's like a dream. And a lot of people can't do that where, yes, they want to focus on their craft, but they can't because they have to keep down that job. So... I don't know. Realistically, yes, if you can. Otherwise, realistically, set aside a time of day where you can work on that stuff in addition to your other job without, uh, you know, dying inside. It's hard. Let's turn the dial back uh, as far back as you want. Is there any advice that you want to give yourself, you know, younger miles? Yeah. Well, can I like time hop? Like I want to stop at multiple places. Sure. Go ahead. Give me what you got. Well, first of all, I would stop in 2018 when I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I was going to last like another month. Totally thought I was going to die. Something was wrong with my brain. I would just say that you're not going to die. It's great advice. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't die. Because I would wake up or I would go to sleep at night and be like, I don't know if I'm going to wake up. And when you're at that point, you kind of you're so accepting of that. Or it's like, I might die tonight. And you're not upset by that. But in hindsight, it's like, that's terrifying. Like, I never want to be at that point again where I'm like going to sleep, being okay with dying. Right. And, you know, overnight. Going back even further, high school, high school miles just be like, you know, you sweat a lot. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, everyone sweats. I was so self-conscious about my pit stains in high school that's fine. Everybody does it. Okay. Everyone sweats. Yeah. You get pit stains. Wear a nice jacket. Um, accessorize fashion. Exactly. But would you have discovered fashion without this well of anxiety directly resulting from your pit stains? <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, uh, we'll put a pin in that one. We, we can continue on your, your, uh, time travel tour. Probably go back to my first set of piano lessons. I would say keep doing piano lessons, mm. even though you hate them right now, you'll end up liking piano a lot. Because I eventually went back and and did, you know, years of piano lessons. But I wish I would have kept my first teacher. What else? I don't know. I just, when I look back at my past, it I just, it's this big blinding light of anxiety of just being totally self-conscious. I would say to myself, like, at the end of eighth grade, beginning of high school, I would say, like, you're going to be so cool. You're going to be so cool in a couple of years. Um, once you get out of high school, oh, you're going to be so cool. That would be a nice thing to hear from your future self. Yeah. Yeah. Like you might not be cool now, but people will appreciate it later. Like you're going to be people, people are going to like you in a couple of years. That is the, not that I wish high school on anybody, but that is the place that your family friends advice. That's the crucible that you need to go through is being a middle school, high school person and, uh, that's the only way to, to generate adults, unfortunately, is to live through that. You have to live through it and you have to go through that much trauma. Even though, like, on the outside, the problems, like, as an adult, looking at your problems in middle school and high school might not seem as extreme. But in middle school and high school, they're very real. Ooh, sorry, one more thing. Freshman year, get rid of that group of friends you have. Go back to the other one sooner than you, you, you did. 
Go back a couple months earlier. You can avoid a lot of bad stuff. Surrounding yourself with good and uh, nice people, good influences, uh, very important. That feels useful and actionable. Good friends, important. Have them. Thank you so much, Miles, for talking so candidly, so openly, and really appreciate you sharing your experience and thoughts. This has been Goodest Notes. If you have a subject you would like a future guest to give notes on, please write in to goodestnotes at gmail.com. That's the end of our show. You can find us on Instagram at Goodest Notes. You can find Miles online at Miles Mercury on Twitter. That's it. And YouTube.com slash Miles Mercury. We're produced by Drew Thomas, who also wrote the Goodest Notes theme song along with myself. We held hands the entire time. Aw. How nice. Let's do this again. See you later. That's the show. We did it.